Amen. Our scripture this morning is 2 Kings chapter 13. If you're not familiar with some of the stories of the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elisha. And prophets in the Old Testament were, were simply people who represented the Lord, who represented God to the people. They were oftentimes a mouthpiece of God. They were oftentimes uh, men and women of faith who would just declare what was on God's heart and would see those things come to pass. And so Elisha was one of those men, lived about 850 years ago, and prophesied to the nation of Israel during a time when the king of Israel, Joash, who we'll read about, was not really a good king, not a, not a righteous king, uh, but the Bible describes him as evil or certainly disinterested or not too concerned about what the Lord's will was for his people. So just a few verses from verses 14 to 19 in uh, 2 Kings chapter 13. This is what we read. When Elisha, that is the prophet, had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, Strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Now, King Joash has come to visit the deathbed of the prophet Elisha. And when he gets there, he declares the same words that Elisha actually had declared back in chapter 2 over Elijah when he was taken. And that is, you see it here in verse, uh, in verse 12, he says, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. It's basically a phrase that describes this person as the actual strength of Israel. And what he meant by that was that even though Joash didn't follow God, he recognized the absolute crucial role that this man of God played in the defense of Israel. He understood that Elisha was the physical representation of the presence of God, you might say, or the faithfulness of God in the midst of his people. You see, the people of Israel understood no matter how strong or weak they might have been, their confidence was not in their military might. It wasn't how many chariots they had or military weapons of those days, how many armies they had, that their faith actually had to be in God, and they knew that it was actually going to take a miracle to defend themselves, if not defeat, the Syrian nation to the north. Because you see, up to this time, what the Syrians had always done is at will, they would just come and plunder the land of, of Israel. Now, it's hard for us to relate to, but being a, an agrarian society, Israel, of course, would sow and harvest, but it would always be during harvest time that these marauders, these raiders, would come down from the north, and they would just take whatever they wanted. And Israel was basically defenseless against it, and they would just kind of come and plunder and go back their way. And, you know, we can feel like that sometimes in our own lives. We can feel like even though we believe in the Lord, we are children of God, we know the right things, we know the Bible stories, it just seems that there are areas in our life where the enemy just seems to come at will. He just kind of comes and plunders at will. I mean, have you ever had the experience where it just seems like things are going really well, you've had a really good uh, stretch of, of being faithful and God being real, God being good in your life, and then it's just like the enemy comes and he just picks on that one area again. You know, maybe it's your temper, maybe it's lust, maybe it's financial fear, worries, whatever it may be, something in a relationship with somebody you love, and it just seems he comes and he plunders again. 
and you just get so frustrated with yourself or frustrated with your faith or unbelieving, and you just feel like, man, is this ever going to end? Or you just kind of begin to accept it. You know, it's not what I like. I wish it were different, but it just seems like this one area I can't ever get a hold of. Well, it's interesting that the Lord said through his prophet to the king, he said, God's desire for you is to put this to an end once and for all to deal with these Syrians. You have an opportunity to actually get rid of this menacing threat that's been over your nation now for decades. So that was his word to, to uh, that king, who himself was not a believing king, but again, he recognized the importance of Elisha in the midst of that nation. And you know, it really is a reminder to us, as I read this scripture, I thought, you know, People who are desperate look for people who know God when they're desperate, right? I mean, you see that all the time. It may be in your workplace. Maybe you're just being a, a good Christian and you're, you're trying to be faithful. You look for opportunities to be a witness, whatever. And maybe times people blow you off or maybe sometimes they even might mock you in the back. But I can guarantee you, desperate people in desperate times, they seek out people who know God. They seek out that man or woman in the office who they know knows how to pray. Or what they would say is who has a hotline to God. You know, uh, they may even come to you kind of sheepishly or just kind of, you know, whatever. But uh, usually, hey, can, would you pray about such and such? Or I'm really having a hard time with such and such. And of course, they, they just want you to do something on their behalf. And it may even be kind of like a good luck charm to them. But it also is a recognition that they see something in you that they know they don't have. And when push comes to shove and a miracle is needed or something beyond their own resources, well, I know somebody who I think knows somebody. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're one of those people who try to be faithful in your witness to the Lord, even in the midst of difficult circumstances or with people that kind of try your patience, I want to encourage you, don't give up. Just keep being faithful because I promise you the day will come when people around you will be desperate. And in fact, we're probably even seeing that today with the, the way our culture is being shaken and the, the sense of uncertainty and the hopelessness. You're probably having some of those conversations already. And if you aren't, I promise you the day is coming when people will be looking for people like you, people of faith and people of hope. In fact, it's interesting to hear in chapter 13 of 2 Kings, if you read toward the end of the chapter, you see there's a little story toward the end where a man has actually passed away. And his friends or pallbearers, whoever they may be, they're carrying this deceased man, his body, to whatever tomb they plan to place him in. Well, while they're making their way, wherever they're going, they see off in the distance these marauders, these raiders, probably again from Syria, and they're terrified, realizing we got to get out of here. We don't have time to finish this ceremony. And so basically, they look for the closest tomb to gently lay their friends inside. But even then, it kind of seems like they tossed him, to be honest, because uh, he must have rolled or something, because they, they found the closest tomb. They opened it up. They put the body in there, closed the tomb, and go on their way. And the Bible says it happened to be the tomb of Elisha the prophet. And it says that when this deceased man had touched the bones of Elisha, the Scripture says, what did he do? He revived and stood to his feet. Beautiful, eh? Well, that miracle suggests to me that your influence as a man or woman of God doesn't stop when you die. Whatever you're sowing in the lives around you, whatever you're sharing with somebody, whatever seed you're casting of the gospel, whatever you're doing by the witness that you choose to remain faithful as a child of God in your witness despite what people say or do around you, I promise you it never dies. Even when you physically die, it will still remain with those people. Even if you get a different job and go somewhere else, don't be discouraged because the Lord will continue to work on that seed. He'll send somebody else their way to continue to water that seed that is there. 
or maybe it's your neighbor and you move to another community, you can be assured whatever it is that you have sown in the lives around you, it will not die. The presence of the Lord, the seed of the word, the word of God that you have spoken, it is full of living power. And it never returns to the Lord without accomplishing what he has sent it forth to do. So you can have that assurance. And I want to encourage you just to be faithful in your witness despite what you may or may not see. Now, Joash knew that Elisha played this vital role in Israel's security, and so he wept over this impending loss. And yet God does something very merciful. God actually gives this king, who really hasn't exercised any faith in God or obedience, he gives him what you might call the opportunity of a lifetime. And the opportunity was to once and for all, knowing this prophet is going to die, and there doesn't seem to be anybody else in the queue at the moment, he gives this king the opportunity to eliminate once and for all this menacing threat from the north. So Elisha tells Joash specifically what to do. He says, first thing I want you to do, I want you to take a bow and some arrows. I want you to open up the window in the castle eastward, and I want you to draw back that arrow, draw back that bow, and let that arrow go toward the east to the settlements in Israel where the enemy is occupying your land. That's where I want you to fire it. And the Bible says that as the king drew it back, that the prophet himself, the representative of God, he places his hands on the hands of King Joash, and he says this in verse 17, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. Will you say that with me? The Lord's arrow of victory, the victory, arrow of victory over Syria. Friends, it cannot be stressed enough as believers here this morning that any victory that we ever acquire, attain, experience as the people of God, it is never by our own might. It's never by our own ingenuity, by our talents, by our looks, whatever qualifications our culture uses. It is always by the Spirit of God. Anything that God would do, that God would birth, we need to understand anything God stirs in our heart of what He wants to do, it is by His power. That means his power is available to us, but we must have an attitude that receives, that welcomes, that lays hold of, that trusts in his power as we walk with him. That never do we say, oh, okay, Lord, I get the idea now. I can take it from here. Because we do that a lot, don't we? We trust, we trust until we kind of see a little break on the horizon. Oh, I'm familiar with this. Thank you, Lord. I can do this. No, 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 no. You continue to rely on the Lord. You continue to follow him, rely on him until that victory is won. We know the story of Zerubbabel when the, building, the rebuilding of the, of the temple of Israel. The Lord said through his prophet Zechariah, he said, you will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, all-powerful. You see, there's nothing of the spirit that God speaks into your spirit that you can accomplish in your flesh. It doesn't mean that you don't do anything physically or don't engage your mind or whatever, but it is to be led by and empowered by the Spirit, meaning you follow his leading and let him bring it together. Let him make it happen. Now, Joash's story was no different, and Elijah placing his hands over Joash's hands was his way of saying, this will not be the result of your own abilities as the leader. You need to understand, this is the Lord's arrow. And I love the way he says it. This is the Lord's arrow, and it is full of victory. It's right here for you. It's right here. Take this arrow. It's anointed. It's full of victory. This is God's power in your hand. Now, the question is, what are you going to do with that power? 
What are you going to do with that promise? What are you going to do with this amazing resource that God has placed within your hands? It really was an opportunity of a lifetime. And I wonder sometimes as Christians, I wonder sometimes as, as people who kind of live and minister under the umbrella of, of being Pentecostal Christians. Now, we don't, we don't wear that name tag denominationally, but we know it describes the people who believe in the necessity of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life. We, we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in this energy, this spiritual dynamic that God has made available to us so that we're not just serving Him in a head knowledge. We're not just religious people who believe the right things. We believe that there is a power, a resurrection power that resides within us that is able to bring life wherever there's death, that is able to cast out demons wherever there's bondage, that's able to penetrate darkness. We believe that we serve the living Christ and that his spirit is alive within us. That's what we believe. But do we see that? You see, it's one thing to believe that. It's one thing to believe that our God, and we can sing it, oh, he's all-powerful, but is he all-powerful to you? Is he showing himself all-powerful in your life? Is he showing himself all-powerful in those areas where the enemy is raiding you and you've grown to accommodate that rather than understand it? Wait, wait, wait. He who is in me is greater than he who comes against me. He doesn't have the right to, the right to take anything from me. He can raid me all he wants, but I have the Lord in me. I have defense in me. The enemy does not have to have victory over me. I don't have to settle for anything less than God's promise in any area of my life. In my family, in my children, in my marriage, in my, whatever it may be, wherever I see the enemy has come to rob, steal, kill, to destroy, I can rise up in the spirit of the one who is in me, who is greater, and say, no, 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 no. No, you have no authority here. Now, I'm not talking about cliches, empty words, Christian formulas. I'm talking about an understanding in the spirit and a stance that we take that is rooted in truth and the knowledge of our identity of what it means to be a child of God. And that we exercise that identity for what Christ has done for us, that the cross and his resurrection and the fullness of his spirit is not in vain. And so Joash had this opportunity of a lifetime. Now, I, I want to say this in all humility, and I hope I communicate it right, because it's a simple thought, but, but I really believe as a congregation this morning, Glad Tidings Church, a church family, I believe that we too have before us an opportunity of a lifetime. I believe with all my heart that God has graced us God has graced us with his presence. God has graced us with his power and with the demonstration of power. God has graced us, and I believe part of that reason is not because we're better than anybody else. I'm not saying that our, maybe our serves are different than anybody else, but one of the reasons God has graced us is because we have taken a stance that says, Jesus, you are welcome here. You are welcome here. We're not interested in going through the motions. We're not interested in putting an hour and a half in the service. Lord, we want your presence to dwell here that lives may be changed. Lord, we want what you want. You have come to destroy the works of the devil. We want to see the devil's works destroyed. You have come to save and to heal and deliver. Lord, we want to see those things. Not because we're anybody special, not because of the name over our door. We just believe that you will do what you say you will do, that you want to continue to do what you came to accomplish through your cross and through the resurrection. That's our heart's desire. And one of the things the Lord laid in my heart a number of years ago regarding our calling is that I believe that God has called us to be what I would just simply call an apostolic center. That is something that's been in my heart for a number of years, and I've found, interestingly enough, the Lord is faithful, but we've had people visit from different streams of ministry, and that's one of the things they'll consistently say. They'll say, Pastor, if you don't mind me just sharing this with you, I just feel the Lord would have you know 
that, that God has called us to be an apostolic center. Now, I know for some of us, maybe who were raised in Pentecost or raised in church circles, you're probably thinking, oh, great, another Jim Jones. He's going crazy. You know, what are you talking about being an apostolic center? And some of you have no idea who Jim Jones is. That's okay. What am I talking about an apostolic center? I'm not talking about something flaky. I'm not talking about something trendy, something new. What an apostolic center means to me very simply is a church located strategically in a community who discerns what is going on in their day, who discerns the time they live in, who more importantly want to discern what it is God is doing, what it is that he wants to do in his people, what he's calling us toward so that when we come together or when we go about our lives, we're not just a people who just hibernate, a people who, re, who you know, gather to, for our own protection. We are a people who come together to worship the Lord for who he is, to magnify the Lord for all he has done through us this past week, and to get refueled by his Holy Spirit to go back into the world with boldness like the early church because we recognize Moncton and the surrounding area needs Jesus and we have the answer. You see, Glad Tidings Church, our mission statement, we are not an institution. We are a gathering of people who understand that we are Jesus' answer to our community. We are his answer to touch and to heal our community. That's why we come together. That's why we want to grow. That's why we want to hear what the Lord is saying in this day because he is constantly at work saving and changing lives. And so to be an apostolic center is to be a church that discerns what the Lord is doing. It's also a church, I believe, that responds to the new things the Lord wants to birth in our midst. The new things he wants to originate. Now, it'll always line up with the Word of God. But how many understand there's a whole lot of stuff in the Word of God that the church is not walking in today? Right? There's a whole lot of stuff that we're comfortable believing, but we have our own comfort zone. Say, like, I don't know if I want to do that. Right? But you see, I think the apostolic nature is one that says, Lord... Whatever you need for this day for, to, to penetrate our culture, to change our culture, to save souls, Lord, we are open to that. Even if we've not had experience in it, even if it's something we just read about in the history books, Lord, we know as long as it's of you, we want that. We also want to share what we have with churches in our city, just as we'd like to share with them what, what, they, what God's doing in their midst to encourage one another. We want to share with churches in our denomination whom we need to serve with humility and love. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody tracking with that? Or does that sound kind of flaky? Do you have a sense in your own heart? And I hope you do. I hope you have a sense that, you know, I, I attend Glad Tidings Church, not only because I love the music and the sermons are short. Oh, sorry, I paused at the wrong time. But I attend here because I have a sense that there's stuff the Lord's calling me to. There's, there's something he wants to grow in me that he wants me to be, move into, that I believe fits into this body. And, and, and the Lord may call you somewhere else, or there's somebody visiting your home church or somewhere else. Please stay in your home church and be a blessing to them. That's not what this is all about, because the Lord has given different personalities, different callings, different giftings to all the churches throughout our city. But for us, our heart's desire really is to have a sense of, Lord, I'm here for a purpose. I'm here for a purpose, and Lord, I want to enthusiastically embrace what it is that you're doing. You see, we can do a lot of things with the resources that we have. Last Sunday, uh, the board took a few moments for pastor appreciation. I got to say, and I know I can speak for the entire uh, uh, pastoral staff, we are honored to be here. We, we don't need a pastor appreciation day. Thank you so much, but we're blessed to be here. We are blessed to serve this congregation. I mean, 
there's just things we can do here that I know we can't do elsewhere. You know, not because you don't care, but there's an openness. I don't mean just flaky for flakiness sake or, again, something that's not scriptural, but there's a basic attitude in the body that if it's of God, we want it. If it's what the Lord is doing, if it's what the Lord is saying, we're in. You know, we, some, some service is going to be more subdued, and that's fine. The Lord moves a certain way. Other times, a bit more rambunctious. That's neither here nor there. That's just, that's just cosmetics. That's style. But at our heart, what unites us at a fundamental desire, we want to walk in the Holy Spirit. We want to move in the gifts of the Spirit. We want to be touching and seeing lives changed by the power of Jesus Christ in the marketplace everywhere we go. And so I just want to be clear. I missed all the wonderful things that we enjoy. That as a pastor, more than our talents, more than techniques, more than treasures, whatever it may be, there's one thing that I covet and one thing alone, and that is very simply the touch of God. The touch of God upon my hands that points me in the right direction, that gives me strength, and that wins a great victory. That's my heart's desire as a pastor, and that's my heart for us as a congregation, that whatever we do, there's nothing of it that's just a trend or a style or something new that's going on, but we have a conviction in our heart. God is calling us to this. God's hand is upon us for this, and we want to rely on him, and we want him to see, see him do what only he can do. Well, I got to get back to the story here. We have some young people going to be bombing us pretty soon or flooding the doors here. Verse 18, Elisha then tells Joash, he says, take the remaining arrows and strike the ground with them. In other words, he's saying, don't just tap the ground. I believe what he's saying is, take the remaining arrows in your quiver, draw back your bow, and fire them into the ground with all the force that you have. And the Bible says that Joash only fires three arrows. And now if, he had, if the story had stopped there, we think, well, that's great. What's the big deal? But what's interesting is that the prophet Elijah is absolutely, actually angry with Joash. And keep in mind that Elijah is God's representative, so he's communicating God's heart. And he's angry with Joash. The King James, the old, old uh, translation Bible says, he was wroth. Now, most of you have no idea what wroth means. <laughs> That's an old word. But he was very angry. And it's just a reminder to me that, friends, God is not just mildly upset when we're disobedient. Our, our, our God is a heavenly Father who loves us dearly. But Jesus is not just the blessed Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus has a mission to do. Jesus has a passion that burns in his heart for our lives and for our community. And, and you see, when we are indifferent toward what the Lord calls us to, when we are different towards the things the Lord has entrusted to us and what he's gifted us with, I believe there's an anger in the Lord's heart. Why? Because he knows what's at stake. He knows what we're missing. He, he knows what our community is being robbed of because of that indifference or unbelief. And so Joash's response is flippant. It's half-hearted. Now, if you read the story, technically, he did what he was told to do. He fires the arrows in the ground, but he only fires three. And yet he knows, the prophet says, these are the Lord's arrows full of victory. Now, if you really understood that, I mean, if I told you that, and you could just sense, man, these arrows are full of the power of God. And I've got an enemy up north that is always plundering our land and even threatens to, to, to make us extinct. What do you think I'm going to do? There's going to be an enthusiasm in my heart. These are full of the Lord's power, the Lord's victory. One, two, three, four. I mean, empty the quiver. Because they're powerful. God is going to do something prophetic here. 
So God had given Joash a chance to really win a decisive battle, a decisive victory once and for all. But the king is content just with a partial victory. And he just went through the motions. Why? Because he doubted that the exercise would produce the promised results. And friends, we can be the same way. Even this morning, God can be speaking something to your heart. During the worship, through his word, just saying, hey, 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 my son, my daughter, you know I've got more for you. You know I'm calling you to more. You know I've got more for your family. I've got more for your spouse, more for your relationship, whatever the area may be. And there's a real subtle temptation in all of our hearts to grow familiar with the presence of God in our lives. So even when the Lord speaks to us, the attitude is, yeah, but I could try it, but nothing's really going to change. Nothing's really going to happen. But what if you understood that when the Lord speaks his word to you, he speaks truth, he speaks prophetically of what he sees coming to the pass, coming to pass if you will trust him and walk in that, and that it really would change? Do you not think there would be enthusiasm in your heart to say, I am going to embrace, Lord, your word to me because I believe in the promised results? You know, I asked myself this past week, and I want to pose the same question to us as a church family. It's simply this. With what will we content ourselves as God's people in these days? Will we content ourselves with a church that kind of meets my needs, or at least I hope it does? Maybe a church that, that has ministries that are good enough? Or will I content myself with a faith that actually meets every need that Jesus wants to meet? Well, I content myself with a faith that actually moves in what it is that Jesus is doing today and what he wants to do. You see, our victory, our success will never be measured by how we compare to another church. That's not our standard. Our success is measured by the knowledge that we are living up to the unique role that God has called us to and that God has gifted us to fulfill. That is our only measure. Our only question is what has God, by the Holy Spirit, placed his hand upon us to do? And are we doing that? It doesn't matter if anybody else is doing it, if they're doing it better, if they're not doing it as well. It doesn't matter. Just as God's call on your life is unique and personal, just like he said to Peter, remember the end of John, I think John chapter 20 or so, when uh, they handcuffed Peter to take him away, and Peter said, or, he, or Jesus said, they're going to do this someday, Peter. They're going to handcuff you for your faith and take you away. And Peter turns and says, what about that disciple, who we believe was probably John? John wrote the book. And what did Jesus say? Never mind him, Peter. You follow me. Don't worry about him. You follow me. And friends, it's the exact same. I want you to know as pastors and pastoral staff, what other churches do or do not do, we bless them, we pray for them, we love them, we work with them, whatever we can do. But we have to do what we're called to do. It's not about numbers. It's not about any of those kind of things. It's just, Lord, are we faithful to what you've laid your hand upon us to do? And that apostolic aspect has to do with being open to new things the Lord is calling us to. And why does the Lord do new things? Because the challenges our culture, it's always changing. There's always new things that the Lord wants to meet. And so that's the question. Are we obedient to what the Lord has placed his hand on us to do? You see, Joash never experienced what God intended for him and his people because he was unwilling to enthusiastically do what may have seemed foolish to him. And there are things that God has for us to experience and he wants us to share with others that are going to be outside of our comfort. They may even be things that we've never done before as a church, but they're of God nonetheless. That's the important thing. 
Are they of the Lord? So the question is, are you willing to lay aside what you know to grab hold of what you could never imagine? Because there's always significance in what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. That can relate to ministry style. It can relate to, to the direction we go. But for me personally, it usually has a lot more to do with just the spiritual disciplines the Lord is calling me to. You see, I wasn't raised in the Pentecostal faith. They call me Baptocostal. And I wear that badge with an honor because I think I get the best of both worlds. I really do. But my heart's desire is, Lord, I don't ever want to be comfortable in any tradition that I was raised in. I don't want to be comfortable even in the tradition that I know today in 2022. Lord, only you know what's down the road. Only you know what you're calling us to and what you want to prepare us for and what you want to work in us so that we can minister today, but also in the times that we're unaware of, we are ready because we've been listening to you. And when the time comes, when the battle is on, we are ready. We are a people who've been walking in obedience even in times that we don't quite understand why you're calling us to do these things, why you're stretching us, why you want to deal with these areas in our lives, why you want us to move in things we haven't moved in before, Lord. We will leave that with you. But we know there's a time now and in the future that if we are ready, Lord, you will bring victory. There will be an end to the works of the enemy. We will see a great victory because we've been obedient to you. I mean, for some of us, things like fasting and prayer, might be a real stretch for you. Maybe the Lord is talking to you about spiritual warfare or spiritual gifts. These last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about personal evangelism, words of knowledge, healing and deliverance, hearing God, prayer walks, whatever it is, whatever may seem foolish in the natural mind at the time. I want to encourage you to make the decision. I am going to participate willingly, and I am going to participate enthusiastically. It may stretch me, it may terrify me, but if God is in it, Lord, I'm willing to grow. I'm willing to change however I need to change. And the same goes in our own personal relationships with things the Lord speaks to about. He said, your relationship is not going to thrive until you die in this area. It's up to you. You can keep having your own way and keep driving more and more nails in the coffin of your relationship. Or you can decide, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, and everything within me wants to fight for my rights, but I'm letting go. And Lord, I want to die in this. I want that relationship to live. I want it to thrive. It means if I have to die, if I've got to change, I'm willing to do that, even if the other person doesn't right now. But I know that what you work in me is going to be life release into the other person, but it's got to start here. And it could be a hundred other different things the Lord is speaking to you about. But Joash's lack of faith and zeal really cost the nation something. Elisha said in verse 19, I'm closing with these, he said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. Think of the impact it would have had on the nation of Israel if their king had taken what was clearly within his grasp in that moment. And then I want you to think of what God is placing within your grasp. And I want to ask you to ask yourself, how different will my life be if I'll start taking serious what God is saying to me? If I stop being indifferent or half-hearted or unbelieving or just stinking lazy and say, Lord, I want this. Just like that man whose son was demon-possessed. Lord, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't have any faith, but help my unbelief. And if you'll just open the door of the crack, God, by his grace, will begin to come in and begin to give you faith, begin to give you the ability to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to keep walking with you step by step, and I'm going to see this thing finally, once and for all, blow wide open. You're going to put an end to the work of the enemy, Lord. 
because you've placed that within my grasp and I'm not going to be half-hearted anymore. I want to be enthusiastic about your promise. As the worship team comes and we prepare to share around the Lord's table, one last verse, I shared it last week and many times actually, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve. He said, the kingdom of heaven allows for violence, and it's the violent who take it by force. I don't want a faith that just goes through the motions. I want a faith that's hearing the Lord speak to me, that's laying hold of what the Lord is saying to me, and that walks in that until I see what come to pass, what the Lord has promised for me. And I really believe that needs to be our attitude collectively as well, that if we want to see as Christian people everything we claim we want to see, if we want to see everything that we claim to believe, then we have to have that same attitude. You see, if we grow used to God's presence and God's power, and friends, it can happen to all of us. We can see the Lord do great things, and we hear some wonderful testimonies, and it can be real tempting to kind of, oh, it's great. What time is it? Oh, man, i got to get home. Rather than just stopping and saying, Lord, don't let me ever get used to this. Don't let me ever take for granted what I've seen. Don't let me ever stop having a tenderness of heart that when I see somebody receive Christ, that there's not a tear flowing down my, my cheek. Don't let me ever be, not be amazed when I hear a testimony of someone being healed or their life transformed or a marriage healed. Oh, God, don't let me grow used to that. If we're not careful, we get into this cycle where we believe very little because we've seen very little but we see very little because we believe very little. This morning's message is simply a call to faith. It's a call to keep moving with the Lord, but with His touch on our life. And say, Lord, I need Your hands on my hands. I need You to point me in the direction. I need You, Your strength, O oh Lord, to go after what it is that You have for me and You. And for, Lord, what you want to do through me to those around me. You take the communion cup. Has everyone been served? Is there anyone that... A little bit of juice and bread. As we come to the Lord's table in closing, I'm reminded of the words that Jesus prayed in John 17. He said, Father... I have brought glory to you here on the earth. As I shared last time, that word glory just simply means I have shown the world your beauty, your love and your beauty, your reality. But how did the Lord show his glory on the earth? Very simply, Jesus said, by completing the work that you have given me to do. I just want to ask us this morning, what is it the Lord has called you to do? In one of two ways. What is it in your heart, in your life, in your habits, in your relationships, whatever it may be, that you know the Lord has said, I want to put an end to this. I'm more tired than you are of seeing the enemy just come at will and rob you. I want to stop this. And you know what the Lord is calling you to? It may just be a discipline that you need, a spiritual discipline. It may be submitting to the Holy Spirit in times when your flesh gets in the way, whatever it is. You need to begin to do that because the Lord, His de desire for you is that you be free, that it stop, that the enemy no longer have power to come against you at will. 
but you really experience greater is he who is in me. In fact, the word of God says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, I'll rise up a standard against him. I've shared this before, but in the Hebrew language, there's no punctuation like we have the commas and so on. That scripture could just as easily be translated, when the enemy comes in, like a flood, I will rise up a standard against him. And I believe that's the way the Lord comes against the enemy who is in us. The spirit who is in you will rise up living waters that the enemy cannot come against. So I want to encourage you, whatever has to come to an end, say, Lord, this morning, I'm bringing that to an end with your help. And then, Lord, whatever it is you're calling me to, whatever it is where I've just been comfortable and you're saying, I'm not a stale God. I never contradict my word, but I'm always doing new things. I'm always bringing you to new places. That old hymn, Higher Ground. I'm planting my feet on higher ground. No matter where I am, Lord, I want to go higher. No matter where I am, you're taking me to the next level. I don't ever want to get comfortable. So, Lord, wherever you want to stretch me, wherever it is, I want to be walking in a way, Lord, that I can never live my Christian life to its full unless I'm relying on you. I want to see things happen that only you can do. And the Lord says, I do too. That's what a living faith is all about. So where have you grown complacent? Where is your faith, your religion grown complacent? And the Lord says, you haven't seen anything yet. You're still doing it in your power. Let me put my hands on your hands. Let me begin to show you things and do things that you've never imagined. So as we share these emblems together, I'm reminded again of Jesus' words. He said, Father, I have come and I've completed the work that you've given me to do. As we partake of the emblems this morning, we're doing so in the recognition that the Lord has given us the same resource that whatever he calls us to, we can say, Father, I've completed the work you've called me to do. That's why the Apostle Paul said, right? I've run the course. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Every single one of us can have that same testimony. No shame, no fear. I've done what you've called me to do, Lord, and I'm ready to come home. So as we take of this bread together, the broken body of Jesus, remember the price he paid to complete that task. And if we're going to complete the task the Lord has for us and end the enemy's work, it's going to take some brokenness. But there's a resurrection coming after by the Holy Spirit. Let's partake and identify with the Lord this morning. Thank you, Lord. In the same way, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you. I want to encourage you this morning, friends. Maybe you're visiting. But if there's anything that separates you from the Lord, you've got to understand, Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you to know forgiveness and cleansing this morning. And I'll say it again. I've said it a thousand times. If you're here thinking, but pastor, you don't know what I've done, I can't go to Jesus. I have one question for you. Where else are you going to go? There's nowhere else to go. That's why he says, come to me. You who are worn out, burnt out on religion, come to me. I will forgive you and cleanse you and set you free. And we'll just keep walking in the light. So allow the Lord to cleanse you and forgive you. But understand, he does that. that you can also know the joy of the fullness of his Holy Spirit. That you're filled with boldness and faith and a love. You say, Lord, I'll do whatever you call me to do. I believe that by your power, you can use me in great ways. Stretch my faith, Lord. Let's partake of the juice together. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? 
As we close this morning, I'm going to ask the ministry team to come. We just always like to provide opportunity for prayer. If you have a request this morning, we'd love to pray with you. If you've this morning opened your heart to Jesus for the first time, would you come? We'd love to pray with you. So ministry team, would you just come right away? And as the worship team closes with this song, consider yourself dismissed. But just take a moment and allow the word of God just to solidify in your heart whatever he's ministering to you or calling you to this morning before you leave. The Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. And remember to pray for our young people. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your truth. We thank you for your great heart behind every word that we read. And we just give ourselves to you afresh, individually and as a family of God. We give ourselves to you, Lord, and just say whatever you will, Lord. Whatever you've called us to, we give ourselves to you, Lord. We believe for great and glorious victories. For your glory, Lord, that our city might see the beauty and the love of our God. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.